right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Adam back with me today. He uh, didn't want to come in tomorrow because I don't know why he hated me, I think. I don't know. Tomorrow no. or yesterday? Yesterday, no. But I actually am returning the favor. I will not be here Friday and Monday. So uh, Adam will have you solo then. But and Just we, to let uh, you know, guys, it will be a disaster. <laughs> well, we're here together today um, for almost one last time. No, not quite. Um, all right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One last time for this. Not, not like forever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, although you never know. Yeah, it's Plane true. goes crashing down for me and... Uh, it's your show, man, so right. pre-congratulations if that happens. Um, <laughs> it is early National Signing Day. There's some fun stories going around we'll talk about in the 4 o'clock hour that are outside of KU. We'll talk about the KU side of things in the 5 o'clock hour as well, just real quickly touching on this. KU didn't have a huge recruiting class being brought in yet. Obviously, there's there's the other signing period that comes at the end of January, early February. I always forget when it lies every year. Um but KU only has eight guys that they introduced today. Six of them are scholarship players. Two of them are preferred walk-ons. There's another kid who was a hard commit but didn't sign today. He's from Dallas. I don't know. Maybe he had a connection with Emmett Jones. He's not going to end up coming here. Or maybe he'll just sign in the later period, and he just wants to kind of hear some more stuff out. Didn't he get one surprise when that kid from DeSmet, the safety, kind of a surprise? Um, or he already committed? Honestly, I don't remember. I are you talking about uh, Mason Ellis, or are you talking about um, Caleb Purdy? Caleb Purdy okay. from Dismet High School in St. Louis. Yeah, I don't know, but he is uh, their top-rated recruit. And that was, and and I I thought I understood it was somewhat of a surprise, but it's a big deal because Eli Drinkwitz over at Missouri and Columbia has been doing a really good job locking down St. Louis kids. And one of the first things I always look at, and this isn't the end-all, be-all, but one of the first things I look at when a kid commits to KU is what other schools were after him. And in the case of Caleb Purdy, it was Missouri, uh, Michigan, and I want to say Ohio State or mm. Arkansas. So I've heard some, of those schools. But yeah, but the 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 point is, some some big schools were looking at him, and if you can get, um, you know, I think with Missouri, you know, like KU basketball got Dewan Harris out of Columbia, mm -hmm. but I think Blue Bloods are a different story. If you can steal a, a, you know, if you're not a Blue Blood, which is the case of KU football, they're not a Blue Blood. Uh, if you can steal a, a you know, three-star recruit out of a state that has a school already, as, you know, as as is the case with Missouri, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. So not a ton of high school kids, but we will talk about it. It is going to be more so about the transfer portal, I think, this offseason for KU, certainly in terms of, of impact guys right off the bat. Um, I do want to talk some KU basketball, though. Uh, Jalen Wilson continues to struggle shooting the basketball. We've seen, you know, maybe some positives of late. He had uh, seven rebounds, three assists against UTEP. 
Um, he did some positive things in the game against Missouri. He had the nice little kind of dribble out and shoot the the long jump shot from the baseline. Um, but overall, it just hasn't really come together so far. And a guy that we thought before the season was maybe going to be a starter, and then all of a sudden you have the DUI incident. Uh, we wondered how long it would take for him to get back in the starting lineup. I even wondered if he would just come right back into the starting lineup because Bill Self continued to rave about him all offseason. And it just, I don't know if it's a question of does he just not fit as well with the team? Is he just still trying to force things too much? And, and because of him coming back late, he feels like he's behind the eight ball. Is it just that he's struggling? So I don't know if it's, uh, you know, that's going to turn or if it is just kind of a bad fit with the team. Um, but the tough string of play now is I think a bit of a continuance from last season. This isn't just, you know, a stretch of three or four bad games. If you go back to last year as well, um, he's now had 10 consecutive games into last season where he's been in single digits. And this is a guy who is kind of known for being uh, a bit of a matchup problem, depending where he's playing and being a guy who is supposed to be able to shoot from the outside, be able to drive on guys, be able to kind of have a mid-range game. But it it's just not happening from a scoring perspective. And, and that's a problem because I would say probably his defensive rebounding, in my eyes, would be his number one skill. His number two skill, I think it, at least of what Jalen Wilson, the right version of him looks like, is his scoring ability. Over those last 10 games when he hasn't scored single digits in any of them. He is shooting 17 of 59. That is good for just 29%. That's not from three. That is 29% from the field. Ooh, and terrible. and this comes from uh, Creighton Coover on, on Twitter, who I know hasn't, uh, I'll just say, he's been kind of a jerk to some of our friends of the show. Um, but anyway, he had a good stat here. Um, 54 KU basketball players have attempted 100 or more three-pointers in their career. Jalen Wilson is currently 53rd on that list of the 54 in three-point percentage. He is at 30.3%. Only Marcus Garrett at 30.2% is lower. And, you know, the thing about it is I, I kind of came away from the Missouri game uh, somewhat encouraged because I saw Jalen Wilson take some shots. Mm -hmm. And my thought has always been, and, and Bill Self has said before, you know, he doesn't necessarily want guys – to not, you know, to stop taking shots. He doesn't want bad shots, but he doesn't want him to stop taking shots. But at what point do you say, you know, that's not your game anymore? Especially when you've you've shown that you've got a guy who you didn't expect to blossom into an All-American candidate in Christian Brown. That's a good question too, because, and right, like if it, if it does hit, because he's one of fourteen right now from three. So at some point that would be a conversation. But then you run into the old, because uh, part of coaching, obviously, isn't just about the X's and O's or recruiting. It's also the mental side of things, right? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kind of uh, playing uh, team locker room. Uh, psych I always forget the difference between psychologists and psychiatrists. I think this would be but, psychology. Okay. Yeah. Because of the fact that you do have to kind of work through this. And at what point do you worry about if you're Bill Self, if you say, hey, stop shooting threes, like, yeah. how does that affect the rest of his game? How does that affect his aggressiveness on the defensive side or getting rebounds or of just shooting offensively in general? And then you also have the aspect of, well, if Jalen Wilson's not attempting threes, what are you doing out here? Because now teams yeah, yeah. aren't going to guard you from three. It's going to mess up the spacing. And it's not like you're going to be in there as a five because they're not playing him at a small ball five right now. It'd be one thing if you're not shooting as a five. If you're not shooting and you're playing the three or four, I can kind of mess up your spacing. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I 
So the and that the other problem you run into there is that just means you're taking him off the the floor entirely. Mm-hmm. And he really is a good defender, man. I like he really is a good defender. Yeah, and to be clear, I'm I'm not saying we're at risk of like Jalen Wilson's not going to play. He's going to be yeah. part of the rotation. He'll but probably how? play the a top six amount of minutes on the team. But what what's his role going to exactly. be, especially on the That's offensive the end? And that, you know, it would be weird. I, you know, it's it's clear Self's not playing three round two, and Jalen Wilson isn't. He can play a big man rotation, but he's not playing a four and a three round two rotation. No, I don't remember a time where Jalen Wilson has like either like gone on the block and they've thrown in the ball and yeah. said, "Here, go go make somebody work. Go hit a hook shot or uh, turn around fade away." I or wouldn't something. want him. I no, wouldn't want no. him to. I. It's, 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 it's getting more discouraged. It's like anything. It's it's the opposite side of the Christian Brown thing. You're like, well, how. You know how long till we declare this is real? And you're, you know, the more time goes on that it continues, the more you can trust it. And on the sad side of that same coin, Jalen Wilson, the longer this goes on, which as you've just pointed out, it goes back to last season. It is kind of becoming more and more of a pattern, and that's, um, I don't know, that's that's not a good thing. I, I'll say if there's something to be gained or something to be looked, you know, to be optimistic about with Jalen Wilson versus that stat uh, with Marcus Garrett, and I know he's ahead of Marcus Garrett right now, but we, we've seen it at least with Jalen Wilson. I, I That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You've seen it. Yeah, you and, know what the potential is. Yeah, and, and so I, I think there is something to be said there that when you know it exists, um, I hope that means there's something you know to be gained from, mm-hmm. you know, it actually can be found again is what I'm trying to say. Well, that's, man, it's so tough for me to try to figure out because I agree with you. You've seen it, so it's impossible. It's like when, you know, you have a former first-round pick in the NFL or something, and then he ends up being a free agent. He gets cut from the first team who drafted him. And, like, Brett Veach does this all the time. Yeah. And he'll go out and get the guy and be like, well, clearly there's talent there. Like, maybe we could be the team that makes him work. But with Jalen Wilson, like, I, I don't know what to think because last year you did see all that high potential, and then – I think a lot of it was attributed to the idea of, well, maybe he just hit a freshman wall because this is his first season of play. Um, but the fact that it's carried over into this year in his struggle, maybe it's more than that because a lot of what we saw when he was really at his best last year, at least in the early part of the season, was when Dave was struggling and you didn't really have as much depth behind him. So you were almost forced to be playing Jalen Wilson at the five. And that's when he was most successful because of the fact that he was able, when a five was guarding him, if the five guarded out on him from three, he could drive by him because he was faster than the five. But if the five sat back because they were respecting his drive, he could shoot the three. And even if it wasn't, you know, I think he shot 33% from three last year. Um, even though that's not like an elite number, that's more than good enough if you're playing the five, right? And it, it just makes things more difficult to play defensively. Now, he did at times have good games as a four, so I don't want to say his only good moments came as a five. But it seems like, maybe to me, like I, I just wonder if he can be successfully a player on what has been an elite offense or if he can be an elite player on an offense this year as a four or if the only way for that to happen is him playing the five. Off the top of my head, I mean, I would say if you could tell me that the other team's four who would be guarding him is a particularly slow four, and that would be a matchup issue that you could exploit on the offensive end, then there's something to be said there. And, and that's definitely but true, but the problem is... That's not going to happen all the right, time. How many, how many teams have two bigs anymore, right? Exactly. We saw, like, the, Texas the, last the, direction, year. the direction that basketball is going, the Texas team that, by the way, most people, you and I, 
and a lot of people nationally think would have been a lot better with a different coach given the talent on that team. And so, you know, it's it's so with the direction the basketball is going, you're not going to have many of those matchups. Um, and I hate that, that that this is the case because he really, you know, he, he, was, he was fun to watch when he took over that Kentucky game. Uh, he just had these moments where it was just so great to watch. And I... I don't know that there's a solution other than you just got to keep trying. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't, I mean, could you say that he could be, I mean, you're, you're not putting him as the first guy behind Dave McCormick when you've got Mitch no. Lightfoot. No, Mitch Lightfoot's been playing very well. Um, and on top of that, like I said, with how much center depth you have. Yeah, you're, you're kind of, sque- he's kind of getting squeezed out because Christian Brown is, is really taking over yeah. the second offensive weapon in a big way. And, and he's played so well at the four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um and and you you don't you know, you've got better options. I mean, last year it was kind of by necessity, but they they, ha- they have better options at center right now. So I you know, it's not it's not a matter of effort, I don't think. I mean, self isn't shy about calling guys out when mm-hmm. there's an effort problem. And so the fact that self hasn't said anything would lead anybody to believe it's not an effort problem. Mm-hmm. No, not at all. And, it- and that's you know, and that's I just, you know, you don't wish that somebody would would all of a sudden lose their will or their effort, but it would make things a lot easier if he would because <laughs> he really is so valuable on mm-hmm. one side of the floor, just not the other. Yeah, um, it's it's just unfortunate because I, I still believe in Jalen Wilson as a player. Like, if, if he comes back next year and Ochai and Christian Brown graduate, like, he might be end up being the guy who is your next, like, all Big 12 player. Like, he is that good. He is very good. I just wonder about the fit on this specific team because of the fact that, okay, you're not going to be playing the five where you have that advantage offensively. Um, At the four position, you just haven't been as good there unless you're going to start shooting well. If you start shooting well, this becomes a different conversation. But when we say shooting well, I'm not just referring to shooting 30%, which is his career mark. 35, 36, 37%. Uh, It's funny because Christian Brown... Might be bigger than him. I mean, Jalen Wilson measured six five and three quarters at the combine without shoes, six seven with shoes. Uh, we had Jesse on a couple weeks ago. Who we're going to have on in about twenty minutes right now. Um, who talked about? He thinks Christian Brown is closer to six seven, six eight. So Christian Brown plays more like a guard, and he might be bigger than Jalen Wilson. And it's just you wonder the fit on the team. Basically, it comes down to like if you're just looking at the starting lineup. If you get late in a game, or if you're just talking about the starters to begin with. What five are you going to roll out with? You basically come to a question of, well, what are we going to be better as? Are we going to be better as better as a team with one lead guard in Remy Martin and then playing Ochai and Christian at the two and three and Jalen at the four? Or are we going to be better with Dewan Harris? And so far, in my eyes, it has definitely been Dewan Harris because of the fact that it gives you more speed, more passing out there. Not that Jalen doesn't bring athleticism and, and passing, but it's not quite to the level of Dewan Harris to do some of the things you want to do with Bill Self. And I, I think that's just kind of the issue here. When we looked at this team from the get-go, we knew how deep it was. We knew how many good options they would have. We didn't really know which ones would emerge the most. Like We didn't know Christian Brown would necessarily be this guy. We knew Ochai would be a, a good, productive player for this team. We didn't necessarily know he was going to be a National Player of the Year candidate. And when you start going down the list and you start saying, hey, all these guys are going to have this much productivity, we knew in the offseason somebody was going to basically be on the metaphorical chopping block in terms of, what their role was going to be or how many points per game or how many shots they were going to have. That was just going to suffer because there's only one basketball and you only get so many shots up in a game. 
And I just am sitting here today wondering if that's the case. And, and this is such a turn for me because two, three weeks ago, I was convincing myself maybe Jalen Wilson could end up being the second best player on the team. Well, I'm firmly in the camp of it's O-Chine, Christian Brown is your top two. And I just don't think Jalen Wilson has a great fit on this team right now. Um, I, I'll say this, and, and I haven't seen them run a lot of plays to get him. Like Dewan Harris, who of course plays a much different position and, and is just a different player than Jalen Wilson. But I haven't seen them run very many plays to just get him a an open look from the corner, mm-hmm. which is kind of something self does to get shooters hot early on in a game. Maybe they're looking to do something like that. I'll say this: if if there's again, if there's a reason to be another reason to be optimistic, it's that we're having this conversation on a Wednesday. <laughs> which, if Jalen Wilson and to to give you a little look at how the sausage is made, if Jalen Wilson's struggles were mattered more to this team, we would be bringing up the day after every game. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, yeah, it, no, it is a Wednesday conversation. It's Absolutely. a it's yeah. a it's a luxury that I mean, but it's. It's still notable. Yeah, and and when I bring up this conversation, again, I'm not saying, you know, oh, Jalen Wilson's horrible or all these things. Like, Jalen Wilson's still a good player. No one wants to get rid of him. Yeah, he's going to play top six minutes on the team, as he should. I guess I'm more approaching this from an angle of, will Jalen Wilson ever be into the starting lineup? Will Jalen Wilson ever emerge from what he is now, which is kind of struggling, trying to kind of find his fit on the team into a position of, okay, it's clicking. He looks like an all big 12 player because I I think those are two different conversations to where I'm just not quite there that this is going to be the breakout year for Jalen Wilson. I think we're going to have to wait another year. I might, I might ask this of Newell. I'd be interested to see what he says, but I'll ask it of you right now. What? And I know we only have a couple minutes, but what do you think's more likely here that Jalen Wilson got worse or that Jalen Wilson stayed the same and everybody around him just got so much better? I, I think there's even a chance that he got even a little bit better than yeah, he was last year, but, but it's just, just that past like, that. Like the jump Christian Brown made, I think, is, is probably bigger than Jalen Wilson's I can't jump, remember right? Same with Ochai. I mean, Christian Brown won't be I doubt will be in the national player of the year conversation, but it's like I haven't like this is almost a jump T Rob made. Mm-hmm. It's pretty remarkable. No, it is. I mean, you're talking about a guy who was a role player who we were talking about in the offseason as could he be benched for one of these young guards because he struggled so much shooting threes and and just in general at the end of the year. And now he is a legit All-American candidate. I I I think Christian Brown is a perfect example of somebody who looked around at the players that were being brought in, whether it be high schoolers or via the transfer portal and said... And, and it, he kind of felt the fire right behind him and took off. Yeah, absolutely. All right, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll be joined by Jesse Newell in about 15 minutes. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About 20 till 4, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on KLWN. It is early signing day. And Lance Leipold met with the media earlier today. We're joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, um, it's a small high school recruiting class for KU right now, and it might end up that way as well. Just eight players 
signed on the dotted line today, and I believe just six of them are scholarship players, and even one of those is is gray shirting. So not a ton of guys, but uh, is there anything that sticks out to you most about the freshman class incoming for KU this year? You know, not too much. Uh, I think you probably mentioned, Derek, which is that it's a smaller class, and that's different from years past, but it also shows where the program has gotten to and that it's in a much healthier spot than it's been in many, many years. And, you know, we can give credit to a lot of different people, and that's not just the current coach. It's Russ Miles, who went 25 high school players, 25 high school players two years in a row. Um, I don't want to give credit to the coronavirus, but obviously he gets a little bit of credit here, too, with the uh, – with the new rules that are in place that allow um, players to go an extra year if you allow them the scholarship. So that allows you to kind of control your numbers a little bit better and keep guys in your program if you want to. And then the new redshirt rule where you can play four games and still redshirt players. There's just a lot of different things that have come into college football and college basketball that have allowed people to, you know, re- remain old, if you will, or, or get old with their, with their rosters and their program. And so you heard, I thought I'd say today that next year they've got a chance to butt up against that 85 scholarship limit. And I was looking back, and that's not something that Key's been able to say or do since uh, 2012 when Charlie Weiss dismissed about 20 players from the program when he first took over the job. So all those things are very good and very healthy for Kansas football. And not to mention the fact that whatever the number was, uh, 68, I think, 68 of their players this year were either in their first year or their second year out of high school, which was the most out of any Power 5 team in the nation. So Lance Leipold kind of has to balance things out. He's not just looking at, okay, grab all the, the young bodies you can get. He's also looking at, hey, balance the classes, get some immediate impact guys, and that doesn't mean you're going to take all high school players. So I think that's all very positive for KU football program and the outlook of what's ahead. But, yeah, a small class today, uh, the early signing period, obviously is not what it used to be, but uh, the transfer portal, Juco players, and uh, potentially more down the line are going to be what's helped Kansas out this next season. And uh, I think those are things that uh, KU staff very deliberately did and very deliberately wanted to do to try to help this program starting in 2022. Lance Leipold couldn't talk about the transfer portal kids, but we can. Um, So what about with uh, the haul they brought in from the transfer portal? What sticks out to you uh, there? Well, it seems like they've been about the busiest of any school out there when it comes to transfer police, like the top of it, uh, grabbing three guys from Big Ten schools, uh, you know, Ohio State, linebacker safety Craig Young, the guy who I know you posted this the other day. I kind of posted about it too, but he was one of the top-rated pro football-focused defensive players on Ohio State's roster. He didn't get a bunch of the snaps, and he played a little bit over 100 snaps. But uh, when you rate that well for Ohio State, one of the top 10 teams in the nation, then yeah, if you step into Kansas, you're going to be expected to do some things. Uh, Nebraska running back Sevion Morrison, obviously Kansas got way, way, way down on his depth at the end of the season, so he'll be in there. And um, If he's not as talented as Devin Neal, he's probably really, really close based off of what he was out of high school. And he's a player two years ago that you couldn't have snipped out of high school. And just to be frank with you, I mean, he was looking at schools like Baylor and Arkansas and the big name programs, and, and KU wouldn't have much of a shot. So it's good to have those guys and then, uh, Michigan State cornerback Kalen Gervin, he's another guy that um, you just think immediately with as young as his secondary was and the struggles they had there that probably going to step in right away and, and be a player for them. I mean, he played for Michigan State. Why wouldn't he play for Kansas? And just recently we had Central Florida linebacker Eric Gilliard. I know he uh, had a lot of schools after him. And, again, he start for Central Florida. And he's probably going to start for Kansas at linebacker. It's, Kansas hung in a lot of those games this year with basically – two really good players on defense and Kyron Johnson 
and, uh, you know, safety Kenny Logan. Now, Kyron Johnson's leaving, so, you know, what can they do now if you bring in two or three more guys to add with it? I mean, just being realistic, KU football is KU football. You're going to have holes at certain positions. But the hope is, kind of like Kansas did against Texas, that you have two, three, four, five playmakers on the field at a given time that can make you some big plays that help you out and, and turn the tide of the game. And like I said, that's what happened against Texas, and I'm sure Kansas is hoping that's what they can kind of land with some of these new guys is they can stick, those, stick them right in positions, they can take those over and be immediate contributors from day one for a program that honestly needs some of those guys on the defensive end. I don't know if you've thought about it yet from a 2022 perspective and, and how much it's going to affect things, and certainly uh, things are, are yet to be done. They could still add more guys to the transfer portal that could kind of add to this. But as of right now, when you look at what they're bringing back on paper and some of the transfer portal guys they're adding, um, I'm not necessarily asking you to give me like a win-loss record or anything, but how are you kind of expecting this team to look next season? Well, I think the competitiveness in the last three games obviously would make a lot of fans optimistic. I, I kind of always viewed this as sort of a, um, a, a, a a mountain that could go very quickly up but would start very low in the valley, if that makes any sense. Um, if you're doing it in the math terms, kind of an exponential growth because – you look at Lance Leipold, what he took over. I mean, last year, he gets in there super late. They don't know their personnel. Uh, they have to implement everything in August practices and evaluate. So I thought that was going to be a one-win year. They got two, and they were competitive in their last few games. So that's a positive. Uh, so I kind of thought year two would be, you know, two or three wins. Uh, you start to get your guys in the program, build them up, get them in the strength staff, all those sorts of things, and, and get things going. But I really thought year three, with the way the roster was, and we mentioned, or I just mentioned Les Miles, you know, they took 25 freshmen, 25 freshmen in previous recruiting classes. If you're able to keep a lot of those guys and get them through your system, by then, that's year three in a landslide pole, and for a lot of those guys, year four and five with the program, um, it might seem optimistic for a team that's only won three games, or has not won more than three games since 2009, but... I thought year three could be competing for bowl eligibility, you know, five or six wins, somewhere in there. And, again, that would be a huge, huge step for the program. So I'm probably somewhere in between here. I, I just think, you know, if you look at that team last year and uh, the reality situation, KU slowed things way down offensively, and yet the defense in scoring defense was second worst in the entire nation, only ahead of uh, Derek top ten favorite UMass Minutemen. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, they need some help on that end. They need guys that can come in and play immediately. And, again, the roster that they have with a lot of young players allows them to maybe go out there and, and take some guys that have two or three or four years of eligibility left in the transfer portal, uh, kind of like free agents, to allow you to plug some holes right away. So they need help. They're getting help. And I think that's sort of the, the, the approach they're taking with this. And uh, they're allowed to do that because of some of the decisions made by previous coaching staffs and athletic directors. And, again, a credit goes to, to them as well because this is not a situation that many coaches in the past six, seven, eight years could have at Kansas. But it's one that Lance Leifold finds himself with. So I think in two years my expectations will be much higher. This next year probably still on the rebuild, but uh, maybe they owe go up just a little bit based off what happened those last three games. We're talking with Jesse Newell. You can check out all his work in the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Um, uh, switching gears to basketball, I, I went through yesterday some of the elite offensive numbers that the KU is showing, and um, knowing that it hasn't been as tough of a schedule as KU is obviously going to face in, in Big 12 play and just upcoming, how sustainable 
do you think some of the things that they're doing well and that they're doing to an elite level right now are? And and does KU have a legit case as the best offense in the country and one of the best in the Bill Self era? Yeah, it's all of them, yes. I, I think it's them and Purdue right now, if you're looking at just this year's stats and uh, what they've been able to accomplish. And the biggest reason for that is just the, the transition. I mean, they just completely flipped that from a year ago. They're getting basically 20 to 25 free points a game right now. It's really hard to be bad offensively when you just know that you're going to push in transition and, and you're going to get those easy bucket slash threes, and it just takes your floor to a, a much higher level when, when you can bank on that game to game to game. I've said this before. It reminds me a lot of a Roy Williams team. You can hang in with them, hang in with them, hang with them, and then, oh, what do you know, Kirk Heinrich and Nick Collison are running up and down the floor, and, and you look up and there's an 11-0 run, and you're suddenly down 12 with three minutes left. And you go, well, what happened to this game? The game was competitive the whole time. That's sort of what this Kansas team is. But even if you watch them closely, Derek, I, you know, last year, KU really had to grind things out because they didn't have transition, because they couldn't get by off the dribble. So it was so much based off of precise execution. And that's something that Bill Self can get out of his team. It's just not the easiest way. What they've been doing this year, like Missouri, they scored 102 points. Most of what they did was just four games. Four games is just basically a repeating action where they do the dribble handoff, dribble handoff, ball screen, dribble handoff, and they are creating opportunities. Um, the best way to put it, they're creating opportunities off their players rather than their plays. And any coach would tell you that's, that's the way you want to play. I mean, you, you can play free. You can play to what the defense gives you. You're not just sort of limited by um, very strict actions. And so that's what makes Kansas dangerous is um, you get those 23 points, and then now you're very, very difficult to defend because all you're doing is reading and reacting to the defense in front of you, and you're able to adjust based on that. And you're basically you're just saying your, your players and their skill sets are better than the opposing team. For most of the season, that's what Kansas has been. And so, like I said, I put their offense up against anybody. I think them and Purdue are going to be the one-two uh, come the end of the season when all the final numbers are in. But if the Jacks finish first in that entire measure, I, I'm not going to be surprised at all. I would definitely put them up there as far as Bill Self offenses go. Jesse, I've kind of argued before, and, and this isn't necessarily my argument as much as I just think it's common sense, but the more manners in which you can attack offensively, the better you're going to be because it just limits what the defense can take from you. The most extreme example of this was KU, I think it was in 08, when against Baylor they scored 100 without making a three. I don't know if they do anything <laughs> that extreme this year, but would you say that not in not just in terms of scoring ability, would you agree that this is one of the best Bill Self teams in terms of different manners in which they can rack up the points? Yeah, he's got options for sure. And even think about it, he mentioned this earlier uh, uh, late last week, where you know, guy got guy got like Jalen Coleman Lance. Okay, he hasn't played much this year. He gets in some. Maybe there's a game where Ochai Baji just can't hit the broad side of a bar. It hasn't happened yet this year. But if it does, okay, you've kind of got a, a Ochai what eighty five percent Ochai that you can stick in there when it comes to three point shooting, or ninety percent Ochai. Uh, that's really nice to have. I mean, if uh, a big man is just roasting you for pick and pop threes from the top of the key. Well, you got Zach Clements on the bench who isn't playing much, but man, that's the perfect matchup for him. They can just kind of fire threes at each other, and you don't really have to worry about the post defense in that regard. Uh, you know, if you want to play super small against the press like Kansas had against St. John's, well, you do that. You play with those two little point guards, and if you notice, the Red Storm did not 
uh, press Kansas very much because of how dangerous KU is in that regard and being able to break that and score off of that. So, yeah, there's lots of different things that Kansas can go to, but I also think Bill Self over time has evolved as well. He's more likely, more apt to be able to play those sorts of lineups and be flexible to do that if if a one game sample needs it. So he'll he'll go five out. You know, that's that's not something he would have always done. He'll he'll be uh, a guy that puts out a Zach Clements and isn't afraid to play to five man threes, that sort of thing. So I, I think Kansas is more flexible in those terms. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that every game's going to be great offensively. But I think they do have enough weapons and enough weapons on the bench to make them almost matchup proof in the sense that they can always try something when a team is throwing um, a method that's a little bit different against them or something that they haven't seen. If I told you only one of these things would end up happening, either Jalen Wilson was going to break out or that David McCormick would play like his Big 12 self last season, which do you think would benefit the team more? Well, it's, I'm, I guess I won't go into the speed of your question here. I, I think Jalen Wilson would be the thing that helps them more because I think from what he's provided KU so far, he has more to improve. He has more ceiling to get to. He could help the team overall much better. I honestly think, guys, and I'm, I'm being honest, and I know people are probably going to chuck things at the radio. Like, I, listen, I have been back in the day, especially the first half of last year, I was one of the biggest proponents of saying, okay, you should play five out. They should not go through McCormick anymore. His efficiency numbers were awful. He was not doing enough to get the playing time he was getting. And obviously it worked out for KU in the end. I I do not think that this year. I think Dave McCormick is playing a very valuable role for Kansas. He's limited his usage some, but he's turned into a top 10 offensive rebounder in the nation. And if you look at some of the on-off numbers, that are out there, other than Ochai Abaji, he's been basically tops on the team when it comes to the type of impact when he's on the floor compared to when he's not on the floor. He's a big body. He provides some shot blocking. He provides rebounding, and he lets KU play in and out of some pick and rolls that he can clear some space with his body and then also roll to the rim and be more of a dunk threat than the other guys on the team. So um, Dave McCormick, second semester of, of last year, was really good. But it was on a team that needed him to be really good because they didn't have that alpha dog that Ochai has become or Remy could be or that Christian Brown has become. So I, I think they, I think KU would be much better off with, with a better version of Jalen Wilson. And, um, again, I know people are throwing stuff at their radios, but I think this version of Dave McCormick right now, the guy that steals extra possessions and rebounds and sets good screens and rolls to the rim, I think it's a pretty good fit on this team, and I think he's been pretty valuable to Kansas, even if things don't always go perfectly for him, and even if he has had his struggles at certain times this year. Okay, so following up to that with Jalen Wilson, because we were talking about Jalen in the open here, and he's obviously you know struggled. A big part of it seems to be shooting. He's not shooting the three ball well. If you go back over his last 10 games dating back to last year, not a single game has been in single digits or in double digits, and he also has um, uh, shot, I think, 29% from the field in that 10-game sample size. Um, so I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's about, you know, maybe he just hit a, hit a wall and, and this year is a different thing because this year is him trying to join the team late. I don't know if it's um, maybe he's just 
not fitting in as well when he's playing more five than he was early on his his retro freshman season when he was playing some of that small ball five and that was just a better matchup for him. Um, but as I look at this team, we knew with how many options they have and if certain guys emerge, like is the case with Christian Brown, there was only going to be you know one basketball, so many shots to go around. Somebody was going to be kind of at the chopping block. Like, How possible do you think it is for Jalen Wilson to have kind of a, a, I guess, like all Big 12 level player season, knowing everything that we do know about this Kansas team right now. I guess, what is his fit with the team? Well, I think you're hitting on some of this, which is, yeah, Christian Brown has probably taken that Jalen Wilson role, right? I mean, what we thought Jalen Wilson would be is probably what Christian Brown has become. So now Jalen's kind of left to fit in with the rest of it. And I think part of this is he's trying so hard to make things happen. And a lot of times, He's doing that with the ball in his hands. And I was kind of watching some of the KU's transition. I'll have a video coming out tomorrow on this and why KU's been so successful. But it did strike me that something that Remy does really well and that Jalen really struggles with or has so far this year is that Remy, whenever he can, pitches ahead. And he's gotten and helped out Christian and Ochai to get some of the shots that they've gotten this year. Whereas Jalen, when he gets on the break, he's really fast with the ball and he's great bringing it up. But it's like... He doesn't need him to dribble, 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 dribble it up. They need him to pitch ahead, and they need him to get on the move, take two dribbles, and throw it ahead. And it feels like that's what he's done a lot, not only in transition but offensively. He's trying to get himself out of this slump by just holding on to the ball and waiting until he can score. And I know Bill Self's still playing for him to get some right-handed drives or some set plays that he's run lately to try to get Jalen going that really haven't uh, worked yet because Jalen hasn't been able to turn the corner. But I just think it's right. It's a matter of it. Norm Roberts has talked about this lately at KU assistant coach. It's, it's try easier and start to try harder. And, and right now I think uh, Jalen Wilson's trying harder. And um, we'll see if at some point in time that, that kind of clicks for him that he doesn't have to always do that. And as a result, he'll make the team better and, and he'll play better himself um, doing both of those things and, and being able to kind of be more of a team first player rather than one who's trying to get himself out of his own head by uh, trying to make some things happen. All right, we're talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com, AP poll voter, Jesse Newell. Uh, another edition of Kiss, Mary Kill. This week's docket, Iowa State, the team trending up in the Big 12. Xavier, a team uh, they defeated, who is one of the better teams in the Big East. And Michigan, a team who maybe is uh, underwhelmed a bit to preseason expectations. So Iowa State, Xavier, and Michigan, Kiss, Mary Kill. Yeah, Kiss Xavier, they had a, a really good week last week, jumped into about a lot of these uh, predictive polls, but uh, Cream and Cincinnati will do that for you, so uh, they're kind of the player of the week. Kiss them. Michigan, I'm always married to Michigan. They are uh, analytical under Juwan Howard, and I don't really care about the four losses. They're going to get a lot more in the Big Ten. If they make the tournament, they're going to be dangerous because um, that's a tough schedule, and sometimes you lose close games. That's kind of what uh, Michigan might have happened there, so... Obviously, kill Iowa State, uh, man. <laughs> they are a team that's come out of nowhere with a new coach and uh, are, have been impressive so far, but still very skeptical on what they might become. They were still a heavy underdog in Iowa when they upset them and had a great game. So credit to them for a, a great start to the year, but still skeptical on where they're going to finish in the Big 12. I'd still guess somewhere around fifth or sixth. All right, Jesse, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Jesse, one last thing. Uh, the ceiling at your home, does it have bumps or is it smooth? Oh, yeah, I've got the uh, I've got the popcorn ceiling. Excellent. Much 
much to my wife's chagrin, I think. But uh, I have to be honest, I'm one of those guys that does not really care too much about the interior design. That is that is my wife's thing. So it does not bother me, but I think it bothers her much more. Well, you're going to have to pretend that you really love it and want to keep it for some sort of reason or else she's going to make you scrape it off. Uh, she knows me better than that. I'm I'm a decent rider. I'm not any Bob Vila. So, no, that's fair. Uh, she definitely, right. definitely knew that when she married me. All right. Well, he is Jesse Newell, the Kansas City star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, thank you so much for the time, as always, man. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. That's Jesse Newell with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson on KLWN. Um, we're going to talk some National Signing Day at about 4.40, and then we'll talk the KU Football Signing Day at the top of the five o'clock hour. But it is that time on a Wednesday to go around the world with Adam. All right, let's have some fun. We're going to start pretty close to home. Uh, this news out of uh, maybe about, I don't know, 200 or so miles just west of here. Uh, I-70 in uh, west of, I believe, Russell is where I'm seeing. Uh, right, Starting in about Riley County, so around Manhattan. So because of the wind, dust has really kicked things up. And uh, I-70 in both directions from the Colorado state line to Russell closed. That's crazy because that is a giant area of... I mean, I mean, Russell to the Colorado line, we were looking this up before. It's like a three-hour drive. Yeah. That whole area is closed off on the highway. You're usually good for that happening about once a year or twice a year from snow. I've never heard of it happening in 70-degree weather due to um, due to what wind and dust. I saw in Missouri a tractor trailer had just full-on turned because the wind catches those trailers and it gets really bad my goodness so yeah. everybody be careful follow directions drive a little slower than you normally would see that's such like a, a an odd concept to me the idea of things getting shut down by dirt because i i mean i haven't lived in kansas all my life and, and even if you lived in kansas if you've lived in you know kansas city or, or lawrence or some heavily populated town it's probably the same way but if you live in western kansas you know, I'm sure it is more prevalent to see things happen because of like a dust storm. Like I, I could only imagine, you know, while I'm practicing for an earthquake drill at, at my, you know, high school in California, like are they practicing for dust tornadoes or dust storms and they have to go in from their practice and so forth. And um, I remember we had to we had to read this book about like the the dust bowl or whatever for they always have that that book that they have at ku great i don't know how math. many people actually read it no no it was just like about the actual dust bowl in general it wasn't like i don't know it, it was it was kind of interesting i guess i i don't think i read the whole thing um sounds like it had a big impact on you yeah yeah huge impact but like that that is just so like hard for my mind to grasp around the idea of living like in a dust bowl to where like you just have to straight up drop everything you're doing. I guess it's not not that different than if there was a tornado or something, but like how many things it affects and like how you can't even see anything and like how what if you were at home and the dust storm just shuts off like what am I going to do? I can't watch TV, I can't like my Wi-Fi is not working, you know. Read. I know, right? Or talk. But then what if like what if the lights aren't I don't know. 
It's just like a weird concept for me to envision. Well, to quote um, young Anakin Skywalker in The Phantom Menace, uh, sandstorms can be very dangerous. Mm. He told the Queen Amidala, the yeah. head of the sandstorm. Um, I uh, in, in the desert areas, not necessarily in Kansas, but in Arizona, this is a problem. They have these storms, and I'm not making this up. They're called haboobs. And okay. well, they're basically these mammoth sandstorms. And I'll never forget one time uh, the great late um, Pedro Gomez was covering, who was a, a wonderful reporter for ESPN who sadly is no longer with us, but he had an all-time tweet, uh, um, what's the word, um, misspell. Uh, and it, what? well, it was a, I guess it wasn't, it was an autocorrect, not so much a misspell. But anyway, he was trying to tweet that a haboob had, had hit Phoenix and knocked out power in downtown Phoenix and thus had postponed an Arizona Diamondbacks game. Unfortunately, I guess his phone didn't recognize the word haboob and it got uh, auto-corrected. And, and according to his tweet, I was sitting there one night and I see Pedro Gomez tweeted that a baboon in, in downtown, <laughs> a, a baboon had knocked out power in downtown Phoenix, knocking out power at the Diamondback Stadium. And I thought, wow! Wow. So, uh, to be clear, though, this is not a baboon on I-70. This is a <laughs> dust storm. Be Although, careful. What would be worse? You know, like a, an army of baboons? Oh, the, they, uh, probably that yeah, and the dust storm. The dust storm's going to go away, right? Yeah. Um, otherwise, we have Planet of the Apes on our hand. Yeah, and, there's uh, no... We've I, seen I, that movie. We know how it ends. Um, Humans lose. Yeah, I, yeah, we would not stand a, a chance against <laughs> baboons. Uh, and if they find that out, we're dead. <laughs> anyway, uh, this out of South Africa and the UPI. Um, Derek, what do, you, do you have a real tree or an artificial tree? We have a uh, artificial tree. Yeah, yeah. We have an artificial one. Oh, these people. Uh, Jerry Hines in uh, South Africa. Doesn't say exactly which uh, which province or city in South Africa. Um, they Something was not right about their tree. And inside of it was one of the most venomous snakes in oh, all of no. Africa. Oh, gosh. See, this sounds like a, a story you'd hear in Australia, which, I mean, South Africa isn't that far in away far, from Australia. Yeah. Well, no, they're pretty far from each other, but well, terrifying things happen in both yeah, yeah. instances. Are they that far? Wait, did you say South Africa or South America? South Africa. I thought they were kind of close-ish. Like what? It's probably closer than South America, but it still ain't a, I mean... You'll okay. get a good nap in on that flight regardless. Well, I'm terrible at geography, as you can tell. Um, gosh. Okay, yeah, this does sound like a horrible story in Australia. I would, I mean, I'm not keeping the tree, first of all. The tree's got to go at that point. Yeah, because you don't know if it laid eggs. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Dude, do you have to just, like, sell the house? You have to burn the house down well, like, and collect insurance you know, what if on there's, it. What if, like you said, what if it laid eggs? Or what if there's just multiple of those? Yeah. And one of them's in, okay, here's a, here's a story. Um. I think this happened to my wife's grandmother. She sounds hot. <laughs> okay, so thank you for that. Um, she was like, her, her dog was like kind of just freaking out at different points throughout the night, like growling and stuff, and she was trying to figure out why. Um, eventually, they found that there was a snake Ugh. just like living in the cabinets. Awesome. And so who knows how long it had been living there, where it had been going at night. At that point, like, I, I don't know what you do. You you run. You, you, you never come back. You, you charge it rent. <laughs> you say, pay up, dude. What it's like, give? okay, sure. 
Uh, and then, yeah, if it says, yeah, here, here, I have a job and, mm-hmm. and a means of yeah. income, here's my rent money. I, I go. Didn't know, this, is, this is no big deal. I, I didn't work know on Wall if Street. I should pay you cash or Venmo. <laughs> you know, thank you, Snake. Um, this from Aurora, Colorado. Also, a thing that hisses, but not a snake. Mm. This is a cat. I'm going to save any suspense because I know we have some animal lovers listening. The cat is just fine. Good. However, for a matter of at least two days, perhaps more, it was just stuck on the top of a power pole. One of those big old power poles that look, you know, like big old tree stumps that they latch, uh, um, you know, that they latch, uh, power lines to. Are you? It was just on like, the top. Are you of talking it. about the really, really tall ones? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! It was just okay. on the top of it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's Thirty-six feet high uh, on top of this utility pole is a black cat named Panther, and uh, Panther stayed put despite efforts by Alexis Soberanis. I hope I get that name right. I doubt I did. Uh, trying to coax him down. I don't know what she offered him to get him down, but Panther did not want to come down. Uh, it was neither pleading nor the enticement of food, according mm. to the Centennial Colorado. Um, the cat went missing earlier this week and was first spotted atop the pole on Wednesday. Um, everyone said, according to this uh, woman, just put food down and he'll come down. Never did. <laughs> Wonder if he had like catching birds up there and didn't want to come down. Well, I mean, if you're 36 feet up, okay, like I don't know how far because obviously land or cats always land on their feet. Yeah, unless you butter their backs, in which case, because you know, if you butter the side of a is that toast, true? well, if you butter toast and you drop it, it always lands butter side down. Mm. If you drop a it's cat, just, yeah, it's going to land law. on its that's feet. Murphy's law. Yeah. If you drop it, uh, if you just drop a cat with butter on its back, it's just going to spin <laughs> perpetually uh, over the ground for so, all eternity. Man, I, I don't know. Does it? Because, like, what's the height that a cat can land on and be okay? Obviously, they can land from certain I heights. don't know if it was 36 feet, but this cat didn't want to test it. Hmm. Anyway, uh, they called the uh, the firefighters there in Aurora, and up they went, and down they brought him. Oh, so Panther them. is home after um, scaring his owner. And but you won't be able to visit him because uh, shut off from Russell to Colorado. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah don't drive out to see him nope. today. Sorry. Ah, I didn't even think about that. Good call. Um, all right, so there's a Botox scandal in mm, a beauty, my favorite type of scandal in a beauty contest. Uh, not allowed to use Botox. Um, give me what? Hmm. What? Who? Who do you think? Uh, I was gonna say, how do you monitor that? Monitor that, but I almost want to say it's kind of obvious. Who do you? Know. Who do you think are participating? Who do you think are the beauty contestants in this? This is by the Huffington Post, oh. by the way, by way of the AP. I, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? It's, is it just... I, I'm assuming it's got to be, like, older woman if their Botox is involved. If I told you that it was taking place in Saudi Arabia, would that help, guess? I would just be surprised that there are... That they, like... I thought in Saudi Arabia that they are very strict on what women can and can't do. So is this with men? Over 40 camels were disqualified from the annual okay. camel yeah. uh, beauty pageant, mm-hmm. um, according to the Saudi, the state-run Saudi press agency. Over 40 camels, Derek. So they have... I'm sick oh of gosh. camel beauty standards forcing these poor camels. <laughs> they know they look weird when they walk. We don't need to put more pressure on them. So if you go to like Saudi Arabia and you go on like Instagram or TikTok or something... And there's just like these, like, instead of it being like, 
woman who that is their job here where they're basically just like influencers and they just post pictures and stuff all day. Instead, it is camels just like, you know, in bikinis and stuff like that on, on TikTok in Saudi Arabia. That is crazy to me. This like I year, said, according to the report, this year authorities discovered dozens of breeders, dozens, oh my gosh, had stretched out the lips and noses of camels, used hormones to boost the breasts of the camels. Sorry, I'm not afraid of that word, but it did catch me <laughs> off guard. <laughs> so if you're in when Saudi we're talking Arabia, about camels, so people in Saudi Arabia, and they're the like heads and lips with Botox to make them bigger. Uh, inflated body parts and with rubber bands and used fillers to relax their faces. Why would you care this much? It's I don't a freaking know. camel. People are weird. And that is so crazy to me, the people in Saudi Arabia. Because like I Apparently said. Apparently, the, the, I, I don't know what the first prize is, but the total amount of prize money in this thing is $66 million. What? I don't know who get Like, I don't, I think that's Apparently spread this is, out from first to like. I don't know whatever place. This is like the Super Bowl there then. Golly. This is what everybody must do for entertainment. Like this has got to be the number one thing, but that is just so crazy to me that you have a country where it is so like strict and um I don't know. I, I don't know what the right word is here, but conservative. Yeah, but that doesn't I don't know. It is it is not right what I think women have to go through there. Oh yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, there, that's probably the best way of putting it. Yeah, like you can't drive stuff like that. Well, like, I, I, I do believe basic, that's changed, but your okay, overall point okay. remains yeah. the same. So that that would be the case, and yet there would be so much attention to freaking camels. Camels, unbelievable. Camels, you are all beautiful just the way you are. Mm. You don't need any of those injections. <laughs> um, yeah, you need some self care. Is what you need. Yeah. Um, Worry about your mentals first. Do we have time for one more? Yeah, one more. All right, uh, here's something that the, the person who sent this postcard is going to need some Botox. Uh, this uh, a woman named Brittany Keach checked her mailbox one morning, and it was uh, flooded with the usual junk mail. This, by the way, is the out of uh, The Independent. However, it is a story from Michigan. She checks um, just some flyers, some bills, blah, blah, blah. And then she notices a Halloween-themed postcard. That's nice. And she notices, hey, uh, this wasn't supposed to go to me uh, because the note she read, it was apparently a, a sister writing to another sister, maybe a cousin writing to another cousin. And then she realized, huh, this postcard's 100 years old. Wow. So. Okay, that's a little spooky, though. The fact that it's a Halloween postcard and it just popped up for you 100 years later. Is there witchcraft involved? Well, there were witches on the uh, on the thing. All right, um, now, yep, no. And it said the the the, the illustration Spooky. had a, a cat, a black cat, maybe it was panther, pumpkins, oh, yeah. a witch, and an owl and a broomstick, and a little play on words that says, "Which would you rather be?" Spelled witch, W I T C H. <laughs> a goose or a pumpkin head? Ha ha! Uh, funny stuff back in the. That 1920s. was probably the funniest story I'm or sure the funniest that, joke that was, ever. That was the years ago. pun of puns mm-hmm. back then. Um, apparently, it was addressed to a Mrs. Roy McQueen. Doubt McQueen is still around to get it. No. Um, dear cousins, the letter starts, we are quite well, but mother has been awful lame knees. <laughs> it is awful so... cold here. <laughs> the note ends with, don't forget to write us. Well, they never got it, so I doubt oh, they wrote no. you. Do you um, think this put like a rift between the family? I don't know. but uh, like, They never wrote us back. Signed by Flossie Burgess. 
So yeah, do you think Roy, you think Mrs. McQueen was like, ah, Flossie never yeah. sent me a Halloween card. I'm this never talking to her forever. again. And they finally like apologized on their deathbed to each other. Yeah, that's uh, the the letter to the way it started out written. It sounds like one of those parody accounts that's like. Captain Andrew Luck. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, where they try to write how things were back yeah. in the day. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think of that. But uh, anyway, so uh, Flossie, Flossie sending mail to what Mrs. A name. McQueen, and it never got there. We need to bring back some of those names from, like, you know, Scoops, Flossie. I have a theory that there are certain names, if you give to your child, they're going to come out old. Yeah, like if you, oh, 100%. If you have a daughter and name her Connie. Mm-hmm. She's coming out 45 years mm-hmm. old smoking with a purse and bingo dobbers yeah. inside of it. And a typewriter, too. And, and glasses yeah. with a chain. <laughs> that will, a Connie will never be an infant. No, 100%. I don't even know if the name was Connie, but in Monsters, Inc., the secretary. If you know the movie, you know what I'm talking about. That's I'm just, watching I mean, you, yeah, Wazowski. Yeah, exa- I don't yeah. even know what her name is, but you could convince me I think it's, it's Connie. Fran. Ah, we'll go with Connie. All but, right. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. No Connie's here. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. That is Around the World with Adam. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Almost a quarter until five. Stay safe out there. Really windy here. Um, not quite as bad at the moment in Lawrence, but certainly outside of it. And uh, could get kind of bad tonight. Um, with Adam Bravada, Derek also Johnson. Very, I haven't seen Douglas County pop up. Osage, Shawnee. I've seen a few counties pop up with uh, thunderstorm warnings. So be on the lookout for that, yeah. too. And be careful with the weather the way it is. I don't know. This could be tornado weather. We just saw everything that happened in like Kentucky and so forth. So um, everybody stay safe tonight and uh, be on the lookout with the weather and everything going on there. Um, college football early signing day was today. And we'll get to the KU side of things at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. But just some interesting stories from around the country. The The most interesting thing of all to me was the number one player in the country. This isn't just like, you know, number one this, which still would be a big deal. But literally the number one player overall in the country. The best high school football player in the nation. Yes, he plays both cornerback and wide receiver in high school. I, I don't know. I, I would. Probably think that his name's Travis Hunter. I saw him listed as a running. I know I saw cornerback, but I also saw running back. Maybe he's just a, an athlete. Um, I would imagine he's just going to specialize at one, but also he is going to Jackson State. Maybe he'll play too. I wondered if that was an allure along. Now there are reports. I've seen various numbers. The the number I've seen most common is he's getting an NIL deal worth one and a half million dollars. Which hey man, good for him. He's you know if if somebody declares that he's worth that kind of money, then awesome um but i do wonder if if part of it is um i wonder if uh what's his name um norvell mm-hmm. over at florida state yeah because he was previously committed to florida state yeah i wonder if norvell was telling him I, i'm i'm speculating i'm not reporting here i wonder if he was saying no you got to pick one and dion was saying hey man i mean i'm i can get you to the pros and on top of that i played yeah. i played two ways you know i played um yeah he was a I think he only played a little bit of receiver, but he was very well known for his uh, return skills as well as being a shutdown corner. So I wonder if that appealed to him. I, I do wonder if Dion offered him the um, 
Deion Sanders being, for those who don't know, is the coach of Jackson State, and they just came off a really good year at the FCS. Won the swag. Uh, yeah, at the FCS level. Um, and so, I, you know, I do. I wonder if, they, if, he, if he offered that, along with, you know, whomever. The school, to be clear, for anybody confused about NIL, the school can't still can't give any money. Um, and I apologize if I'm coming across as, as condescending, but I genuinely don't know how many people know this rule because it does get muddy and confusing. The school still cannot pay a player. Businesses can can pay a player to use their likeness in their commercials or ads they run on the radio, whatever the case may be. Um, so I, I, you know, um, I do wonder, along with this NIL deal, if if the the idea of playing both ways was something that was sold to him, because he's, I mean, he's not getting. I, I'm sorry, man. I, you know, we're not we're not talking about Jackson State on you know, the third th- Saturday of September, even if no. this kid goes there. No, absolutely not. Um, but it's just a big deal because uh, the fact that he is getting a million and a half to go there, and that just shows the NIL stuff. Now, the difference between Jackson State and some other schools like uh, Texas is given $50,000 to all of their scholarship offensive linemen um, through some, I don't know, I'm sure donor or whatever. Um, Texas and your Alabamas and whoever else, anybody with like big donor, um, base has the ability to do that where they can do it kind of spread out over a bunch of players. Yeah, yeah. Jackson State's not going to have the money to do this to anybody else. Now, now this isn't obviously, like you said, coming from Jackson State, but I would imagine nobody's going to be like, hey, we're going to give $10 million specifically to Jackson State. I but- wonder if the contract continues into the pros. Like, I wonder if that's, that's part of the deal. Because my, my thought this whole time was eventually businesses are going to realize it's not worth. Now you're still going to have rich donors who are like, whatever. I'm a billionaire. I'm, mm-hmm. I I can give up a million dollars to get this kid and be it under the guise of, of an nil deal. Um, but eventually businesses are going to be like, we paid five hundred thousand yeah, dollars. There won't be a return on investment. Exactly, here. and they're going to realize that more and more, and these numbers are going to get less and less. I think. But I just it just occurred to me, they could have signed him and said, okay, this is while you're at Jackson State, but also. You know, whatever. What you know? I think is it sophomore year or junior year is when you can go pro in in uh, junior year. Whatever mm-hmm. year, whether it be junior year or senior year, whatever year you decide to go to pros, you're also under under an advertising contract with us. Once you you know your first whatever three years in the pros, and if you think of it that way, then if he becomes a big star his first few years in the pros, then you've got him on a relatively cheap deal for a star NFL player. That's kind of the idea with like shoe contracts, why they try to get all these schools because they want the kid, if they, they go pro and they're a really good player, they want them to sign an endorsement deal with them. So they have the shoes and everything. I wonder how that would be perceived because would they almost view that as like the same way an agent could come to a player and say, here, I'll give you you know $500,000 now and then, in the idea that you're going to sign with me when yeah. you get to the pros. That's an interesting I, I thought I I would guess. I don't I haven't But I, also if they got sued would the the court just say sorry if that's what they want to do like Yeah, cool I, I I'll that. say this I haven't poured over the the rules so maybe this you can't put that maybe you can't put that in writing and you know that hey once you go pro you know you'll do an ad But deal I'd with love us to see in. that like but a player gets like a 20 year contract. Yeah, but I I do wonder if it's like okay officially we can't put into writing, but hey, we hope you wink, wink. We hope you remember us once you mm-hmm. become a pro. Yeah, I mean, I you know maybe there's that. Um, I don't know. It's it's fascinating the directions go. My favorite of all of this is uh, 
Miami, University Miami of uh, Florida, not Ohio. Uh, Miami of Florida, there's a gym, and I don't know what the name of the gym is, but this guy is giving. Um, I don't know if he's giving any money. I think he's giving 500 bucks a piece to every University of Miami player. And on, as I understand, it's 500 bucks a piece and a free membership to his gym, <laughs> which is brilliant mm-hmm. because he it's not really costing him anything to have them come into his gym. And now he can say, hey, come to such and such gym. You know, we're the place the players. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're the place where all the, you know, the, the, the canes work out. I mean, that's big. Mm-hmm. As far as like what and this, it's not costing him as much money. No, as far as what this does to like a ripple effect for college football, I don't really think it has one. Um, you mentioned like eventually, like this is going to be the wild west for a couple years because people are just going to be hey, you know, pay all this amount of money, so forth, and then they're going to realize businesses at least, like okay, you, you might get a return on investment if you pay a guy five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, or in, in the case of like a bigger player, more money than that, right? But uh, the million and a half, you're not going to see that back. Basketball might. This might be one of the rare examples in which basketball is worth more than football. Yeah. Because a, a basketball player, you know, Zion Williamson can have his name out there for a full season because his team is consistently in the national yeah. title conversation. Yeah. But uh, again, for the most part, like depending on how much you pay them, there, there's going to be a line. Like there, people are going to find what the actual market value will be out of all of this. Um, and, and that'll be figured out organically. So eventually it'll get there. Um, but this is interesting because of the fact that it is a smaller school doing this. And the whole idea that, you know, everybody talked about with NIL, oh, well, now all the best players are going to go to the best schools. Well, they already did. You know, they already were had, going to Ohio State and Alabama and everything. How many different – we've had seven, eight different teams in the in the college football playoffs. It's not many. Started. Yeah. And it's, it's four teams a year every year since 2014. And I don't think 10 different schools have made the damn thing. No, this year it got made so a big deal. because it's been top-heavy anyway. Yeah, it got made a big deal this year because there's two new teams in it. And one of them is freaking Michigan, who is one of the, I don't know, they might have the most wins all time. At the very least, they're near the top of the list. So, um, cool. We're going to get some players who are going to be going to other schools now because they might be like, hey, we'll just, you know, shove out some money for this kid. And yes, your Alabamas and schools with big donors are still going to reel in really good recruits. But they already were. So now at least we do have the chance of something else to come into play and get the player. And but by the way, guys, not to disillusion you, they were already getting paid for it. Yeah, yeah. And that was something Jimbo Fisher said. He was on an interview with uh, Paul Feinbaum today, and he kind of laughed when he was asked a question about NIL. And he was like, you know, NIL was already happening. It just was under the table, and it was something we didn't talk about, right? So there are some coaches that are steering into this. Like, I think Lance Leipold will play some audio for you tomorrow. Um is steering into it. But there's also a side of this where, like Lane Kiffin, we have some audio here, um, if we could play this here. He, he basically, you can sense the frustration too for a couple reasons. Um, first of all, you have the standpoint of, you know, I, I could understand why this would be frustrating to be a head coach because of the fact that, you know, you're having to deal with, well, now I don't just have to worry about scouting high school recruits. I have to worry about scouting all these college recruits. And I also have to worry about, you know, which guys on my team are staying, which guys are going. Do I have to placate certain guys by playing them certain amounts and so forth? It just becomes kind of a headache. So I understand that. I think this is where the standpoint of, of Lane Kiffin is coming from here. Um, and I also can sense the fact that uh, I feel like there was a kid who probably wanted to come to Ole Miss, who was one of their top recruits, who ended up maybe picking somebody else because of an NIL deal. So uh, let's roll this audio, and we'll we'll kind of get into this here. I mean, I don't think people really say it this way, but let's not make a mistake. 
I mean, we have free agency in college football. And the kids a lot of times go to where they're going to get paid the most. So no one else is saying that maybe. But, you know, the kids say, this is what I'm getting here for NIL. You know, and so what we really have, it is what it is. You know, free agency has been created in college football. You know, I can go, except you can't lock people into a contract. You know, they can go at any time. So it's a new world that we're in, you know, and sometimes they want to come to you and say, I'm, I get this much money if I go there. So this is just a whole, whole new thing to deal with. So he makes some good points and, and things that, like, the contract part makes it very difficult because what happens if, for instance, this kid, Travis Hunter, says, okay, I took my million and a half, now I'm going to transfer after one year. I don't know, but I guess if you want contracts, the flip side to that is the schools themselves would have to pay the athletes, which yeah. I don't really or, care I mean, if they want to do that, sure. I don't. I mean, if, if, if a player gets put into, uh, under a contract by whoever's giving them that NIL, you know, the most familiar one we've seen is Applebee's with Jared mm-hmm. Casey. Let's Okay, let's say, all right, Hey man, Jared Casey, here's your NIL deal, but it's only valid while you are a player for the University of Kansas. You know what I mean? I mean, maybe that will happen. And I do want to say to some people have, have kind of accused Lane Kiffin of whining. Maybe he was a little bit, but I also think there was some venting, and I also think he just sounded and, not, and yeah. I'm not and I'm not saying let's all feel sorry for Lane Kiffin I'm just trying to explain his tone. No, I, I think I it's do being think misconstrued also- as like he's totally against this. I think I'm just saying there are reasonable reasons why you yeah. could be upset about something or complain about something, but also understand with all these big coaching contracts, coaches get 95 115 million dollars, you're getting paid for this. He also sounded tired. Yeah. I think he's been up since 2 o'clock this morning because it's signing day, so I think that was part of it too. And, yeah, I, I got the attitude out of him, not so much of, oh, this is terrible, What you know? why are we doing this, and just something is, hey, man, this is life now, and we got to deal with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, Lance Leipold is kind of steering into that, which is, I think, great for KU. Again, I'm acknowledging the fact it does make your job a little bit harder, but you're also getting paid very much, and you can steer into it and say, okay, well, if this is the world we're in, if this is the transfer portal world and NIL deal world we're in, we're going to steer into it, and we're going to make the best of it, and we're going to build our roster off that. So I think there's there's like three different characters here. There's the Jimbo Fisher, which is just like the, yep, it's happening, cool, let's keep it rolling. There is the Lane Kiffin, who is the... You know, I'll acknowledge both sides to this. And then there's the Dabo Sweeney side of this, which is the, uh, here's the quote from Dabo on the transfer portal. It's chaos right now. Tampering galore. Adults manipulating young men. Education is like the last thing now. He calls for the return of one year sit for transfers. Keep the focus on graduation and education. I almost think that college football is going to leave Dabo Sweeney behind. His coordinators are leaving. They finally had a bad season for the first time in a while. I wonder if this is kind of the the end of us seeing Clemson in the college football playoff every year. Coaches who refuse to adjust to this will be left behind. Mm-hmm. It's just like in baseball and basketball and now football. Co- coaches, managers, and general managers who refuse to adapt – to the, to the ones who are using analytics. In football, you see it more and more because, oh, it's just supposed to be tough, and if, if we can't get two yards, then we're just not tough enough. And it's like, no, you need to pass more because that's what the numbers say you <laughs> need to do. And you know, the numbers, you can't win a game on a spreadsheet, and, da, 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 and that, that old-school mindset. That's why guys who talk like that are on panels on Sunday afternoon covering games, not coaching them. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the exact same. Whenever something new comes up, the ones who adapt are the ones who survive. 
and and the ones who you know continue to be great over long periods of time. And look, it could just be that Dabo is venting and he's going to deal with it. But if if he really is stays and and stomps his feet and and doesn't change with this, then he's going to be left behind. Um, I don't know. Maybe he will. Maybe not. Maybe he's just venting. But I'm sorry. It's it's here. And you're you know. And if you really hate it that bad, okay, fine. You know, take the money you've made and I'm not. Look, I'm not. I wouldn't blame a coach for saying, "Hey, man, it, it, this isn't what I thought it would be." I, I got into this for these reasons. I've made $40 million. I'm going to retire and hang out with my family. I wouldn't hate a coach for doing that, but don't take the moral high ground here. No, absolutely not. So uh, just kind of fun stuff coming from signing day. We'll talk about the KU side of things after this quick timeout. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You are listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetum, Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. So KU's recruiting class right now, it's ranked 97th in the country on 24-7 sports, 10th in the Big 12. Um, but a couple things to point out here. One, I'll, I'll shoot it to you in a second because I know you have the comparison of uh, the other recruiting classes. Yeah, I actually did work today. Yeah, there we go. With uh, Lance Leipold at Buffalo, just to show you that it is going to be more about development, um, but it also is also going to be for this class and, and for KU, I think, uh, in the near term, more about the transfer portal as well. Because KU, if you look at the overall recruiting ranking, you might not be impressed. Again, I'll, I'll, we'll have Adam share these in a second to show you it is more about development. But um, the only team who has single-digit commits in the Big 12 right now, it's KU and TCU. Those are the only ones not only with single-digit commits, the only ones with less than 15 commits. And for what it's worth, TCU just lost a coach. They, they, have, a yeah. new, they have a new coach, so They'll that could be more. a reason for theirs. So if you look at, like, by average of what the the recruiting ranking average is, they're in line with Kansas State. Um, but I think where KU is going to do their most work is with walk-ons and with transfer portal, and certainly we've already seen some good transfers being brought in, and that doesn't account for those recruiting rankings, and I think that is important to note. But you do have uh, the comparisons for, for Lance Leipold at Buffalo. Uh, yeah, I put these together earlier. Um, I wanted to see where he ranked. The To me, the I was less concerned how he did nationally, but I do have those national rankings uh, but more, I was concerned how he did within the MAC. Uh, the MAC, the whole time he was there, had 12 teams in it. Uh, 2016, which would have been his first full recruiting class, uh, he got the job before then. But um, it, he, uh, this is the first time we, he he would have had a full season and off season to recruit. Ninth in the MAC, uh, out of 12 teams, 118th nationally, and his points. This is all 24 seven. Uh, 107.51 points. 2017, also ninth in the MAC, up to 113th nationally, uh, raising in the ratings 112.97 points. Really bad recruiting. Uh, well, I mean, he still was successful on the field, but his recruiting tapered off in 2018. Dead last in the MAC, 12th, 136 nationally, 81.31 points. Uh, 2019, 7th in the MAC, 105th nationally, 135.51 points. And 2020, back to 12th in the MAC, 131 
131st nationally, 114.94 points. And I want to to give you an idea. So you, you just heard his, um, and I'm going to pull up. I should have had this in front of me. I'm sorry I didn't. But I, I'm pulling up now his, his coaching record. So you heard it, it all kind of shuffled anywhere from uh, nine, between 12th and 7th in the MAC, and at no point was he ever better than 100th nationally. And this was his. This were his records during that time. Uh, 2016, he went two and ten, one and seven in the MAC. 2017, six and six, four and four in the MAC. 2018, ten and four, seven and one in the MAC. 2019, eight and five, five and three in the MAC. And in a COVID-shortened 2020, he went six and one, five and zero oh in the MAC. So his recruiting classes did not necessarily correspond. He, he had basically the same or maybe some not never much improvement he really never strayed away too far from where he was the whole time uh in terms of his recruiting he never got much worse or much better especially if you look at it in the point system rather than the rating system or rather than the ranking system but point being he was never a good recruiter uh, but he had a great deal of success uh at um at buffalo on the field and i think if that's what's going to have to happen at kansas you saw that he's capable of it at Buffalo. Yeah. So um, all that is very good to know from the development factor, from from why there are less guys, from why they would be ranked lower. And again, if you add in the transfer portal part, we, we heard from Jesse Newell, like he was saying, I don't know that many teams have been as active as, as KU, so they would probably have a high ranking if that was included. I do want to note that a lot, I mean, first off, recruiting, I mean, I love 247. I, I love rivals too, but it's also a really almost impossible job. And the lower rated these players get, the less attention they have. So you are going to get a lot of three stars um, who probably, you know, it's up to the coach at that point to, to mm-hmm. be the one that can see the difference in what others just consider three stars. Yeah, and also there's such a wide range of what three stars are. Um, for instance, okay, KU has their top ranked recruit coming into this class who signed today. Caleb Purdy was the guy you mentioned earlier, flipped, or, or not a flip, but from uh, kind of the St. Louis area, three-star recruit. Had Missouri on his list. Yeah, top 900 recruit in the country on 24-7 sports. He's a three-star. You also have uh, guys on this list who are ranked close to like 2,000 on their player ranking, and they are also three-stars. That's kind of the widest range of players, but a um, bunch of three-stars in here. Joey Baker is a three-star. He's their second-highest-rated recruit. Top 100 offensive tackle. That's a big deal. Um, I, I saw it described uh, by Kevin Flaherty as like a high-floor prospect who's a smart guy, uh, 6'4", 250-pound offensive lineman from South Lake Carroll High School in Texas. Um, I think he's going to be a guy who's going to fit really well with the zone scheme. Mason Ellis is a guy who's going to be gray shirting, and he's a guy from Western Kansas who helps you kind of you want did, to consistently have local good players. Did we decide what um, what he's going to be doing? He's going to be a scholarship, but he's going to be a gray shirt, which gray shirting basically means that he's going to um, not join the team this semester, or I'm sorry, um, in the 2022 fall semester. And then he will join the team in the spring semester of 2023. So he did make something. He's still on scholarship, but we talked about. But he won't count to scholarship he, till 2023. And so he did make something of a sacrifice compared to if he had just gone to North Dakota State. Yes, correct. Um, 
And then, yeah, you've got another offensive lineman in there with big size. James Livingston, three-star, 6'7", 275. Great size there. Uh, Tavita Noah, he is a Juco guy, three-star recruit. He's the number three Juco tight end. This, to me, um, basically comes in as... KU had a lot of blocking issues from their tight ends this year, and that didn't allow them to maybe do as much as they wanted in the running game and in the wide zone scheme. You bring this guy on, he should be a plug-and-play type of guy who can come in and, and help you a lot in terms of, like, he, he got nine passes for 159 yards in seven games during the spring 2021 season. This sounds like a guy to me who is a block-first tight end, which is something you desperately needed. Uh, mentioned Caleb Purdy. Um, and then you also have two guys who are preferred walk-ons, Kyle Farks, who is a six foot three offensive lineman from Shawnee Mission Northwest, Grant Glasgow, the kicker from Lawrence. But I think the most interesting guy might come from Ethan Vasco, who is a three-star quarterback, um, was committed to Old Dominion, had an offer from Buffalo, 6'3", 180-pound freshman from Chesapeake, Virginia. Saw some of the highlights this morning. Looked pretty good based on that. Um, I would kind of similarly say it about, like, Jalen Daniels and this kid were guys coming in out of high school who they didn't really have a lot of hype around them. But if you watch the tape, like, do have pretty live arm, and both are mobile guys. So that's a positive there. But you also never know how it's going to translate. But it's just interesting because we saw today Miles Kendrick, and Conrad Hawley transferring out of the program. Lance Leipold said today uh, they knew about this, so they they made a late offer and that they were already um, aware of who this kid was from back in the day uh, with Buffalo, and they had kind of kept contact in case something came up, and uh, that came to matter. So I, I don't know. Maybe this is a kid who's a developmental quarterback. Jalen Daniels is still going to be a young starter, so who knows? Uh, he might end up being a guy who transfers in a year or two, right? If you're stuck behind a, a junior or sophomore and senior Jalen Daniels, yeah, but got Jaylen, you got to have bodies. Yeah, if you, but if you got, yeah, I, I agree. And if, but yeah, you come here if you got Jalen Daniels um, competing and, and potentially looking at, at all Big Twelve type performances, uh, which he's. I mean, he was so good toward the end of the year. Um, I don't want to put too much pressure on him, but I, I don't want to ignore what the ceiling could be. He could be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're looking at that, then maybe yeah, you decide to go play in the Missouri Valley or something. Or even not even that. Maybe you stay in, in FBS level, but you go down to a Power 5. And so I, I don't know if this has like all of the players who are going to end up walking on for KU. In fact, I don't think it, it does. I, I mentioned the preferred walk-ons. Um, I don't even know if it'll ever be mentioned who the regular walk-ons are unless they're the preferred. But you're looking at a lot of local kids. The Kyle Farks, right? That's a guy who was uh, all Sunflower League as an offensive lineman. But he's a little smaller, 6'3", 240, out of uh, Lenexa, Kansas. And, and Grant Glasgow, the kicker. And then, um, even though it's a, a scholarship, the fact that he's gray-shirting basically uh, doesn't count for a scholarship for another year in Mason Ellis. And he gets another year to kind of, uh, I guess, build himself up, so to speak, because he was apparently he's a year younger. He's 17 years old. Um, like, those are those are the types of things that I think from a local recruiting aspect matter and that you have to do. To be successful at Kansas. Well, I mean, we we talked, and 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 Lance Leipold wasn't shy during the ahead of the K State, really ahead, and then after the K State game, of the difference in all, in in Kansas talent that each school has, and you got to think that means something because K State's been such a much better program than KU for the last, really for the last most of the last thirty years, with exception of about a five year pocket in there. Um, and look, right, what was the number fifty one? 51 or 81 Kansas kids at K-State? I think it was 51, versus yeah. Versus 19 at KU. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, there's no reason that, that should be the case. Kansas has, the state of Kansas has talent. 
Uh, you can't build your whole roster around it, but it has talent, and it has a lot of talent that goes unrecognized because a lot of times the talent plays both ways. So a big school can look at him and go, well, yeah, sure, he's super athletic, but he's not a great right route runner because he's only you know he hasn't learned enough about the wide receiver position. And, I mean, he's not great in coverage because he's only a cornerback half the time. And he's not great at this, and he's not great at that. But if you're at KU, you say, okay, but he's freakishly athletic. He can play at this level athletically, and we, you know, then we, if we have the opportunity to teach him how to play a position full time and focus exclusively on that, then he can be much better than his ranking would would suggest. And and you know, we will know, you know, they need to target, um, they need to target guys that big schools are ignoring that they shouldn't be ignoring. Yeah, and so I, I think uh, by all means. Uh, this would be a pretty successful class for uh, for KU, and uh, again, it's, it's impossible like, not to view this without viewing the transfer portal. I agree completely, and it also I think it, now with the tra- because of the transfer portal, guys can play; they have more experience, and they can play immediately. But I think in a lot of cases, this is somewhat different now because um, you're not only getting high school kids. But in general, I think a recruiting class can be looked at like a draft class. You can speculate on it, and because we have, uh, you know what, I can't do math, 15 or five times three, we have 15 hours a week to fill mm-hmm. of talk radio. We're, we'd, we'd speculate on it, but you don't truly know until two or three years from then how that you know recruiting class or draft class was. Yeah. Now, that's somewhat different because you can get guys who are juniors or and seniors who have tons, tons of experience. Um, Jesse Newell talked about the efficiency rating of that kid from Ohio State, so he's going to come in right away with uh, with you know a lot of experience. So you can get some guys in a recruiting class that can affect right away, but in general, a recruiting class can't really be judged until what you see what they do two or three years down the line. Yeah, and that is another key difference among like the transfers, and I guess the JUCO guy kind of counts to that as well. Um, but I would imagine there's not going to be many more high school guys who commit. There's still the the later signing period, and maybe they'll add a, add a couple more. I'm sure it's fluid to the standpoint of you know you're not just going to go into it and say we want exactly this many high school guys and exactly this many transfer portal guys. I, I think what's realistically likely to happen moving forward, if you get 25 scholarships to give out every year, maybe you go into it and say, well, we're going to reserve eight to 10 of them for high school kids. We're going to reserve eight to 10 of them for transfer portal kids. And whatever happens with the other five to nine is just going to be based on what positions we need, what's available, who wants to come here, who's the best player. And we just kind of, uh, whatever happens happens as far as that goes. Um, but I would imagine for this year specifically, it's going to be more of the transfer portal kids. And I've mentioned the Michigan state comparison a lot. For a couple of reasons. One, because Scott Aligo, who was there and engineered all those transfer portal kids coming in for Michigan State, is now at Kansas. But also because they won two games last year. They went 10-2 and two this year. I'm not saying that's the, the situation for KU, who won two games this year and, and that they're going to have that magic. But also Michigan State's best player, Kenneth Walker, who finished sixth in the Heisman, he was a transfer. Came from Wake Forest. Um, 
So what you're saying is next next year this time we're going to be talking about Lance Leipold New Year's Six Bowl, baby. 110 million dollar contract. No, 95 million. What I'm contract. saying is that there is a big impact that can be had yeah. if you hit it right in the transfer portal, and I think KU is on the right way there. But they're also still not ignoring the local kids, and I think that is the perfect mesh and the perfect blend that you're looking for at Kansas. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Um, we're going to talk some more uh, KU. Uh, they play Stephen F. Austin on Saturday, so we'll talk a little bit about that coming up next. This is RCST. Everyone knows about the Pizza Shuttle Everyday No Coupon Specials. The twofer, the threefer, and the